Chris, do you want to talk about taking rejection in stride today? No. <laughs> today, dating rejection in DuckTales and Steven Universe. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and really subversive ideas of what it means to be rejected when you ask someone out for a date. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And today, like Chris said, we are using uh, DuckTales and Steven Universe to talk about like positive representation of telling dudes no when they ask you out. Yeah. I wish these shows had been around when I was a younger dude asking people out. Mm-hmm. Much like your pet peeve of like hating bad dad stereotypes, like uh, I think these episodes actively like attack like the idea of friend zone and dudes who can't take rejection. Like, what if dudes can take rejection and the woman doesn't have to compromise who she is to do it? Hmm. I, I hate that that's, like, subversive. I, you know, like, oh, no. What if we are emotionally grounded and understanding of each other and see people as individuals with choice? Like, what? Groundbreaking. Like, I don't think we have time on this podcast. I don't think we're the podcast to unpack all of that as a, you know, in the culture but I do want to start with like, our personal experience, just slightly, just slightly, because um, I think growing up in a different time than the current younger folk, I think there are the, the images that are present and that are shown to young people have great longstanding effects for years to come, maybe even decades to come. And I think starting that young um, is amazingly important. Yeah. Culture is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you just make really basic level plots and stereotypes, you repeat again and again throughout every TV show, like that's going to stick with those kids as they grow up. Like, that's going to be their model for things like that, especially if they don't have older siblings or older friends that they're watching go through these things. Mm-hmm. I think for me, personally, with 1980s media, you get one view, which is if you are a guy asking out a, a girl or a woman on a date or something, your goal is to ask until she relents and acknowledges that you are the greatest person ever. And it may just take time. I agree that that was a trope of the time, and I think that definitely continued into 
a lot of 90s media too because everything even to this day still pulls from the 80s yes um and i think that's dangerous because then we get things like friend zone mm-hmm. and um I, I hate that term personally uh, because in in school and when I was younger, like I would ask people, uh, I, I once asked someone out, they're like, you know, we're just too close of friends. And I was like, okay. And if I had looked at it through the lens of friend zoning, it's like, okay, so what? everything that I've had with this person is suddenly negated because they don't want to date me? Or do I look at it as, okay, well, we'll just keep being friends then. Like, like, what? Like, it never (laughs) really occurred to me that um, we are, like, I'm still friends with that person. Like, they're one of my friends that still lasts. Um, it's, it's crazy to be like the friend zone as a negative thing. It's like, we have this, we have this friendship. All I'm saying is I want this friendship to continue the way it is. Oh no, disaster. We're still friends the way we were yesterday. Oh no. (laughs) Unless you're only friends with somebody because you think like the opening of when Harry met Sally and that men and women can't be friends with each other because the man always wants something else. Ugh, gag. Gross. That, that's so boring. It's just such a negative. Even if I were like 100% heterosexual, uh, <laughs> I just wouldn't want to live that life at all. That's so sad. I never understood like this man versus woman idea. Yeah. So I don't know, I guess digging back to my own childhood, like, like, I don't think I had a really strong idea of where I fell in the LGBTQ spectrum until like late high school, to be completely honest. But even then, like growing up with representations of dating and media, I would see that and see like dudes asking out girls in TV shows and stuff and going like, oh, no. I don't want to be any part of that. And not because I wasn't attracted to women. It was just, that just seems like this whole religion almost with its own traditions and trappings that I just didn't want to be a part of mostly because I didn't want to feel like I was the dude that I hated. in a lot of these portrayals, like making women feel bad and like pursuing them. Like I didn't want to be that guy. Mm hmm. And instead, I definitely saw friendships in media. Like, I like friendships. So I think, as opposed to you, kind of when I was exploring my identity more and starting to date, not just like date guys, but date, which was all guys. um, It was like, you know, it's a good template for this. Being friends with someone. What if we get along? And so I think a lot of my relationships have, uh, in the opposite way, kind of bloomed out of friendships because that was the interpersonal relationship model that I really liked and appreciated in media growing up. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
as somebody as me <laughs> who's lived life, um, I think there's always that feeling of in media, like great, we're friends, and now your friendship gets to a certain point, and then it it just has to become this. Like that's the only reason why the two genders would ever talk to each other or be with each other. And I'm like, that is so to to use a British term that I don't use, but I have to use it because it's just so ridiculous. Bollocks. That is bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but that being said, like I was not above like almost taking like this 1980s stalker view of things of great. Now I have to write a note. Now I have to call them. Now I have to like go and do this showy thing. And now I have to do this and I'll have a theme and here, here's another gift. Here's another token. Here's another. And it's like, dude, that's exhausting. You don't know the first thing about this person. Like, mm-hmm. You know them as an idea, but you don't know them at all. Like maybe, hey, want to go hang out sometime? Want to? And that's it. That's essentially, I mean, it's not specifically lust, but I would say that like loving the idea of someone and not knowing them is kind of like a form of lust. It's not real love. Mm. I think culturally at some point in the mid 20th century, mid to late 80s, um, people associated this idea of like the idea of loving someone or loving the idea of someone as love. And that's, that's not what that is. Like sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it doesn't, but real love, this cliche takes work. You have to know someone. I don't think you can really love someone until you really know them. Mm -hmm. There's no like love at first sight. Like there is that feeling, but that's not love. Right. There, there may be connection in some some way that you can specify, like, I am physically attracted to that person, or that person is just a dynamic personality, and you're like, I can't look away. Like, there's something interesting and engaging and magnetic about that person. But you're right. That's not something to um, mark a relationship on. That's... Mm-hmm. It's a great way to ask a person, hey, are you feeling something also? Do you want to explore this? And if the answer is no, that can be the end of it. It doesn't need to continue. And you can still be friends. That's Maybe not right away. Take a break. Right. Because there there are two things at work here, right? (laughs) There's the having a healthy sense of self. And having a healthy sense of emotions. And like those two things, I think, are not always in play with people. And it could be the media they consume. It could be from their family. It could be lots of different things. I know this is an animation podcast. <laughs> like, But it's interesting when some of the most real and genuine and authentic expressions of healthy relationships and healthy healthy expressions of emotion come from ducks and aliens. Yeah. Like it's it's strange. Almost like it's based on 
real experience, but like thought out also. And how do we portray this in the healthiest, best way possible? I, I will say something that I think is interesting culturally that um, I think that I dealt with that may be unique. And we don't talk about as much with the queer experience is uh, while I'd looked at like media growing up and gone, I don't want to be part of this man, woman thing. This is a dumb dating thing. I don't want that. <laughs> what I was woefully underprepared for uh, was <laughs> women who were interested in me. <laughs> and mm. I definitely identify a lot with Garnet and Penumbra in these episodes of like, being on the receiving end of these like overtures of robots and going like, I am not prepared culturally or any way to like know how to talk about this or deal with this. Like, how do I do this in a way that's positive and reject this person, but stay friends, but make clear, like, I do not want to be in a relationship with you or explore the idea of relationship with you. Mm. So, That is what it is. That that is. <laughs> I, uh, that that is interesting, and it also didn't help with previous media. Um, along that lines of be the person who is doing the rejecting. That person um, in the media was always somebody that one the character didn't know, and therefore we as the audience didn't know either. All they were was um, an object of affection for the main character. Mm -hmm. They never were served any other purpose as a character usually, um, other than this is something that the main character is after. This is someone that the main character is after. See, they something <laughs> as if it's someone, because that was it, it was just, um, to paraphrase a very wise princess, you know, these women are not a prize to be won. They, but that's how they were seen through the main character's eyes. And I think even as recently as um, The Last Kids on Earth and Netflix, the first season of that, I found that first season a little problematic because it was like, hey, this romantic gesture of me figuring out how to save this girl and it's like this feels like 1980s mario like women are not a mario video game like there's not some woman that you have to go win and save and like unlock and it's not this massive thing i know it i love how these long-standing cultural things like mario are <laughs> even dealing with and exploring like the own tropes that they created throughout the years of like Peach in the Mario games is now like a much more well-rounded character who's not not always and not just an object to be saved. Uh, and even in the think of the most recent game, when she is saved, like that doesn't grant Mario any special privileges with her. <laughs> right. We're still friends. I don't want to get married to you. We're like we're, this is not going anywhere else. Yeah. Uh spoilers for Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> uh but let's talk about ducks <laughs> yes let's let's start with ducks i think that's a wonderful place to start uh this is a fairly recent episode uh ducktales season three episode nine they put a moon lander on the earth uh which features 
the return of Penumbra, the Moonlander that Della befriended, one might say best befriended on the moon, <laughs> um, and her how she's adjusting to Earth life and what's that like? It's not fun. <laughs> like, it's it's not fun at all for her. Uh, in in the end, it's a lot about uh, identity. Who am I now in this place if everything I've ever known uh, is gone and all the things that I was known for uh, are negated? In a way, it's, it's 2020. Like, what, what, who am I now if all the stuff I was responsible for is no longer a thing? And I love so much way. of this episode because some of it is just full on like obvious like yeah this applies to all of us in 2020 but also like very subtle because I think Penumbra's story of like being a moonlander on the earth uh, is a lot like coming out like everything she'd known is now different and changed and her relationships with the people she knows are different and what is that like and I think that I don't know how conscious of an effort that was to tell the story of this episode, but I think that there are certainly hints and elements that this is related to that idea as well. I don't think it's just a hint. I feel like... <laughs> you don't think the giant pink triangle on the Ferris wheel is a subtle hint? No, I, f I feel like that's not as subtle. <laughs> and, and we get the very big thing later on, you know, the, the actual spoken word. Yeah. From Penumbra. Um, I, I mean, I think that's still open for interpretation in a certain way, but I do like uh, they made it as far as I'm not interested in an Earth man. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. I thought it was cute. I, I think in this, so we have two new female characters to the DuckTales universe. We get Della Duck and Penumbra, who have literally come from the moon. So <laughs> from the moon, strange, different, trying to find their new lives, trying to figure out who they are um, as women, as family members, as as people. And if there, if this were 1980s DuckTales, Della Duck would be obviously Launchpad's girlfriend because they're both pilots like that, that ship would have long sailed or flown, you know, that would have gone or crashed all the way there or crashed. Um, and there would be no way around that. And Penumbra would be, I don't know, she'd probably be older and maybe be um, Scrooge love interest or something like she would not, she would have to be somebody's love interest. But also building on that, what I also love is that this is pushing beyond what we know today because I think a lot of modern media would be like, oh, yes, of course, Dell and Penumbra knew each other on the moon and they were best friends, so obviously their love interests now. And I don't think that that's the direction that they're going either. Like right. Dell and Penumbra can just be friends too. And we don't need to explore that too in depth. Yeah, why? What is it about us as a culture that that takes intimacy between friends and, you know, take that and mean like, well, that's obviously going all the way over here this way. Do you really like, want to open that box, Chris? 
Probably not. Probably not. That's, <laughs> I think it's just a question that I have lingering. You know, <sighs> that goes way beyond cartoons, but I think it ultimately boils down to like historically, at least in the U.S., we as a culture are so unused to the idea of intimacy that the only measures of intimacy that were shown have been romantic in some way, whether or not they're healthy. And so now we assume that every intimacy must be romantic. Mm-hmm. That's why friendship is a groundbreaking idea. I love friendship. Right. Uh, so let's let's look at these friendships. Let's let's decipher what's going on in these friendships and this specific launchpad penumbra friendship rejection ongoing friendship. Um. So Della and Penumbra are talking through life and she's trying to get Penumbra to try Earth, to have Earth fun. Go out, stop trying to build things, experience the Earth. You don't have to rush back to the moon because nobody else is there. <laughs> like All the moonlanders are on the Earth. <laughs> Just stay on Earth, figure things out. And Penumbra mentions that she went to go get coffee. Um, and she went to go get coffee with Launchpad. And it shows one very quick moment of their date. Well, their coffee getting. I wouldn't necessarily call it a date because Penumbra certainly didn't see it as a date. And I love how it's set up, too, because it's not like this holy MacGuffin flashback of, like, here's the origin of the plot of this episode. It's a throwaway gag. And, yes, more comes of this gag. But it's not, It's not like, this, this date is this holy moment that must be respected and, like, treated because it's a date and a plot and two characters not getting together. Mm-hmm. It's not a villain origin story. Right. It's, it's a joke. She drinks the coffee, says, this is terrible, and walks away. And Launchpad is left believing that she's talking about their coffee interaction and not just the coffee. <laughs> so... I think Penumbra's also learning how to be a friend, um, which she's trying to learn from Della. And Della's trying to teach that. I mean, there was that whole relationship they had on the moon uh, between, hey, we're best friends. You know, we can have fun together. We can do things. And now she still doesn't quite know how to trust people. And that's one of her biggest things. And now Launchpad is left because of that, not knowing how he should act around her. And I, 
What I appreciate about Launchpad is as ridiculous as Launchpad is as a character, his reasoning is sound in some way because he's trying to make things comfortable and right for Penumbra. And it's not about him except for his, he, what am I trying to say? It's his act. He's like, what should I be doing for, to make her comfortable? Like, should I even be doing these things to make her comfortable? I agree that that's there, but I do think that in Launchpad's head, it is about him also, because what he's most worried about, he says it out loud, is, am I her arch enemy now? Like, he's most concerned in the terms that he understands of not being the bad guy. Because mm. he doesn't want to think of himself that way, so he wants to make her comfortable. So I think that's a healthy expression of that, but he is—he starts off the episode very self-concerned about himself and how he perceives of himself. And guilt and shame being a driving factor there. Hmm. And we laugh because he jumps out of a limo. That speeds and puts everyone in danger. All of Launchpad's business in this episode is comedy gold. I I do appreciate, though, Launchpad's line of, like, oh, I should have kept driving. Like, I should have, <laughs> like, of course I should have kept driving. Like, I appreciate that they gave Launchpad a moment of clarity <laughs> and not just let him be ridiculous stuck in a bush. He's he's smart. He just takes time to get to it. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah. It's after he's jumped out of the car and <laughs> left children in peril that he's like, oh shucks, it should have been, should have been this. It should have been this choice. Magic business. And I think so, ultimately uh, they they. I mean, they kind of have the talk of, like, Launchpad is honest, like, saying, like, he doesn't want her to feel bad, something along those lines. And then she's like, oh, no, I just don't want to date an Earth man. And it's easy. That's done. It doesn't have to be more drama than that. And now they can be friends. The implied path forward that they have of best beat-em-up buddies. Right. I, I need somebody on my side. Like, that's... That's what we need. I need I need another friend. I, uh, I'm sorry for the bad date, but you're really cool. And even if you hate me, I don't want to have to be your mortal enemy. And what? No, we are not enemies. I just do not wish to date an Earth male. Oh, that's way easier. But you would be a formidable ally on the battlefield. Yeah. I'm fascinated by your Earth fighting techniques. They can't have coffee together. They can't talk about Darkwing Duck, but they can have Earth fun together. It's not a euphemism. Right. Uh, I also... I oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. My, mine was, I, I do appreciate that she's friends enough with Della to pick her up and carry her to the limo. Like, all right, time to go. Let me just grab my friend and drag her, you know, carry her over. And Della doesn't struggle or anything. She's just like, yeah, it's, this is happening. Like... Mm -hmm. All right. Hashtag Carry me into the car. <laughs> what were you going to say? Uh, just kind of tangentially to the actual like love plot while we're talking about this. I also love that this episode is the return of the eat a hamburger idea of DuckTales. 
Because in the first episode, Webby is trapped at the mansion. She talks about how she wants to go out into the world and eat a metaphorical hamburger. She wants to experience life. And she takes on a new role in this episode as a former fish out of water, now in water, to a new fish out of water. She's mentoring Penumbra in like earth fun and having fun. And she takes her to eat a hamburger. And she talks up like the idea of eating a hamburger. Which I just think is so fun. Mm. It's like Webby is this wise child who knows all in her innocence. And Penumbra just also needs to like be more flexible and just live in the moment. Yeah, but the way she was also brought up with, you know, Lunaris being an interesting father figure, the way you see the world can be, it's not just the media you consume, it's Mm -hmm. also those people that are the biggest example of how to treat and negotiate the world, your, your parents or your, you know, these other figures of authority and how they do things. Uh, it's like, well, that's how, that's how it gets done. Like that's, that's how it works. And to have Della, who's still learning to be a mom, let's, Hey, we're gonna go to this this Ferris wheel, and hopefully it's a disaster, and we'll get trapped on it. She's like, "Okay, that sounds fun. Go ahead, go." In retrospect, I should not have let you guys do that. <laughs> exactly. Like it's it's just a lot of people figuring things out and being flexible, but also listening to each other and and being honest and open. I love that. There are, even though Launchpad was having big emotions and trying to get away, it wasn't because of some lie that Penumbra told him or said, and no one was pretending anything. It was just miscommunications and being awkward and unknowing. And the thing that unlocks everything is just saying what you're feeling but it's never, no one ever lied about what they were feeling. Yeah, it's the opposite of a lot of like 80s media of air quotes healthy rejection, where like the woman must lie and soften the blow for the man's feelings. Right. That isn't here. She doesn't have to do that. Nobody has to do that. And no one should feel obligated to do that because the moral of the story is honesty, let them be friends. Right. And no one was hurt. Well, luckily, because that limo not <laughs> having someone steer could have hurt many people. No one was emotionally hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, no one was emotionally hurt. Should we, I think that talking about lies and letting people down easy and compromising self. I think that's a really good segue into (laughs) Steven Universe Love Letters, um, season two, episode three. Uh, Do you want to talk through this particular episode? Yeah. Uh, This one essentially takes the exact opposite approach in its plot, uh, where we have the Beach City Denizen, Jamie the Mailman, Come visit Stephen and Connie on the beach, and he sees Garnet 
the Steven, if you're not familiar with Steven Universe, Steven Universe's gem friend who's a essentially adult woman looking gem alien creature. And she literally walks out of the ocean like a Bond like girl, but because she was <laughs> walking on the ocean floor looking for the remnants of a previous fight, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, and Jamie sees her and just has like this moment of like, oh, wow, look at this beautiful woman. Right. And writes her a love letter, which he gives to Stephen and Connie. And Stephen and Connie deliver it to Garnet. And they try to get her to write back and say, like, no, in a gentle way. And she won't. She just doesn't feel like that she has to. So she won't play along with her game. And in lieu of that just happening, Stephen and Connie decide, well, we should soften the blow. And they create the lie. And they try to lie for Jamie's feelings and betterment which just results in a bigger feelings mess for Jamie to be put down by later when all the lies become revealed. And in the end, it's the same idea of Garnet being honest without compromising herself and getting that same respect from Jamie that resolves that plot. It's not the lie that did it. It was being honest without changing your stance. Hmm. I, I do love the moments that are played up. The moment of seeing Garnet is very much like 80s teenage movie love interest view. And then we as an audience, though, if we've been, if we're up on our Steven Universe lore, we know that Garnet is already a relationship between two people. Like she's. It's not just that she is a, a person who is in a relationship. She is a relationship between two other gems. Like they are fused together, love each other so much that they always want to be together. And the manifestation of that love is Garnet. Mm-hmm. So there's the old, we already know that Garnet is unavailable. And we also know that Garnet is too cool for Jamie Mailman, who moves to Kansas to become an actor. Like, we already know that there's no <laughs> chance for this, this, this gentleman to, uh, to get, have any chance of being romantically involved with Garnet. And they reestablish at the beginning of the episode, if you're not a follower of Steven Universe lore either, which is also smart, it's not even a matter of, like, if Garnet would or would not be interested in Jamie the Mailman, it's like there's zero chance of that because she is a relationship. Like there's no question of anyone else being involved here. As they say, three is a crowd. Mm-hmm. I think they said that too, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, literally they said that. And then it, it becomes about two young kids, Connie and Steven, trying to do the right thing but not under like understanding that they don't want a somebody they like to get hurt and understanding that their feelings could be hurt um, by something and but not understanding enough that they could be stringing him along and you know giving the wrong answer um because i i I think the scene where 
they're like, okay, we have to write back. And they try to convince Garnet to write back. And they're like, okay, we'll start with like his tone. We're going to start with dearest Jamie. And then Garnet is, you know, um, dictating that it's like, okay, start with N. And then O. And then Connie's like, you know, just, you could say the whole word if you need to. And she's like, okay, period. <laughs> and then it's like, like done. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. It might be best to play off the tone of his letter and start off with something like, Dearest Jamie. Okay, go for it, Garnet. Start with the letter N. <laughs> okay, what next? Uh, the letter O. Uh, okay, you can just say the whole word instead of spelling it out. Period. So, N-O period? Oh. I think we'll need more than that. The end. Forever and even after that. Yours truly, Garnet. Hmm. At least it's honest and to the point. Because it's all that really has to be said. Uh, but because JB is such a sensitive person, Stephen and Connie are... don't feel good about that response and want to lie instead. And the meaning gets lost in trying to use Jamie's flowery language in the delicate no. Mm. I, I think my favorite thing will be, um, I just love the, the, she adds to try to soften the blow was the end forever and ever. <laughs> And even after that, like, that's how she softens <laughs> yes. the blow of just no. Like, <laughs> there is no chance. There's definitely no chance. Not even after the universe ends. <laughs> and I, I could see how that in, in the very Garnet way is like, look, you should stop going down this possible path because it's never going to happen. And that's that's softening the blow in her mind. She's trying to take Stephen's advice and soften the blow. Like, it's not just no for now. It's no forever, Jamie. Yeah, it's it's not just now. <laughs> it's not you. It's just there's no no chance. And mm -hmm. I think it does a couple different things. She does not have to explain why. There's yes. never, there doesn't have to be a why. And I think it's nice that even Stephen and Connie don't add a why. Because he's not, he, he, he doesn't, he's not owed a why because the no is enough. Mm -hmm. And even, I think the resolution where Stephen and Connie are panicking and wondering what to do. And this could be a great like 90s sitcom episode of like trying to live in the lie and resolve the plot. Garnet's just like, okay. And then immediately leaves to go talk to Jamie and still doesn't soften the blow, doesn't explain why, just like, what's really going on? Jamie. Garnet. I didn't mean to upset you. Then will you go out with me? No. But I've loved you since the moment I saw you. Love at first sight doesn't exist. Love takes time and love takes work. At the very least, you have to know the other person. And you literally have no idea who or what I am. But I bloom for you, like, like a camellia under moonlight. No, you don't. You make a very convincing lovesick fool. 
You convince these children. You even convinced yourself. You're a fantastic actor. What am I supposed to do now? Start with local theater. Not like how to be better at dating. Like, you want to act, that's great. You're such a good actor and you have this in you. Start in local theater, goodbye. Right. <laughs> and that's what he did need to hear. It's, you, you don't even know who I am. You saw me come out of the ocean. You, you have no idea who or what I am. And you suddenly think that you're madly in love with me. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're not. Like, uh, and I, that's so refreshing. And, you know, it's so funny. The, the, the no, I, I just laughed so hard at that. That's so, but um, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. What am I trying to say? Yeah, it is ridiculous that that can't be something that's just true. A woman can just say, no, thank you. Or just, no, I'm not interested. Okay. Yeah, I think in both these examples, part of what makes it funny is that it is, like, so shocking and refreshing to say no. Mm-hmm. And that's us as guys saying this is why we find the episode funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to speak for whatever. I don't pretend to. But as uh, two people who uh, are... I like to think generally good people and watch animation and think about storytelling and how you talk about character, like gold star episodes. Yeah. Thank you for helping give me a touchstone that I can use later on in life when my son needs to have conversations from either side of that conversation. And understand, like, this is hard. This is hard. And I love, this is one of the biggest, grandest differences of what he's consuming and what I consumed in the 80s. Um, He is eight years old. He's in second grade. And he has lots of friends female, male, it doesn't matter. And um, he's never once had a conversation about like, yes, she's my girlfriend or like, mm-hmm. they're my girlfriend. Um, yeah, we're, we're boyfriend, girlfriend. He, we don't have those conversations. And that doesn't even matter. Because he is, he's eight. Yeah. He's eight years old. I hate, hate, hate when parents in real life or in media are like, oh, it's so cute. Like they have a boyfriend, a girlfriend and they're in preschool. Like, no, that's only because they have such unhealthy relationships. And the idea that they have is the only way they could be friends with this person of the opposite sex is if they're like romantically together in preschool. That's a terrible, (laughs) you should have a conversation, not tell them it's cute. Right. Because I I had a quote girlfriend in kindergarten and that's just ridiculous. Yes. (laughs) It is it's just ridiculous. Like that's not real. That's not anything. Like how how corrupted are our views of relationships? Like I am so beyond ecstatic 
that nobody in DuckTales who is a kid is romantically interested in each other. They're yeah. all just friends. And nobody's like, oh, look at that adult. Like, there's no, as, as ridiculous as Dewey and Louie are, they're not looking at uh, older adult kids and, like, commenting on, like, oh, I'd like to date her. Mm-hmm. Like, even Huey isn't going after, you know, um, anybody else. It's like, in, in the 80s, Dewey and Louie would probably be totally talking about Lena and like, oh, she's cute, but the tree's older. That's like, it doesn't matter. I'll like, it's. I'm envisioning the quack pack episode now. Yeah. Cause it would have happened and it's, <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> I had to use a crazy voice because of how wrong it was. It's wrong. <laughs> it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh <sighs> But I, I don't know. I'm so glad that these shows exist the ways that they do. Yeah, same. I Like I said, it's, it's funny. It's subversive. It's funny because it's subversive. It's a shame that it has to be subversive. But it's really well made. They're good examples. Mm. Of these two episodes, uh, Chris, do you have a favorite moment or thing from them? I think... I think it's every part of Garnet and her conversations, just her every, everything and the sh- from the shine of her glasses to everything that she did in that her business, her walking, her expression, like everything of that was just perfect. It just exuded strength and determination and conviction. Mm-hmm. And I want I, I love I love that about Garnet, just in general, but especially in this particular episode. And I do appreciate that it's not sitcom-y in that an adult would be influenced by these kids who have watched soap operas and have their own understanding of love. It's not about teaching the alien how to love. Yeah. You know, like, that's not the thing. And in both these episodes, it's an alien, but it like, that's... It's not about like, well, this is how we do it on Earth. Like, no, it's not about that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's respecting the feelings of that character as you know them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'd be lying if my favorite moment weren't uh, Penumbra watching the kid ducks feed the actual ducks and looking back and forth confused. I, <laughs> I did not notice that until my second watching. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I was like, what's wrong with her? Like, the first time I watched it. And the second time, I was like, ducks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like, subtle. It's like during the montage of fun, too. Yeah. I was like, that's weird. Like, and then, then I saw her face. I'm like, that's my face right now. That's my face. Like, that's, that's what that is. It also works on another level of not just being ridiculously funny. Uh, but it puts the audience in Penumbra's shoes of like looking at this weird, strange alien world and not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I really like that. But because it, it's such a funny classic one to give, I want to say instead my actual favorite writing bit is probably um, Launchpad and his business with the popcorn in the same montage. 
Mm. He walked this an unspoken bit where he walks up to a popcorn stand, gets two cartons of popcorn, turns around and sees Penumbra and gets nervous and goes to offer her one that he thinks it's weird that just he and her would have popcorn. Uh, so instead he tries to hide one, but dumps it out behind his back and then thinks just him offering only her popcorn is weirder. So he flips it and is like, cool, I'll keep this one. I'll give you the other one. But then he dumped the popcorn out of, sees this mistake, and he jumps over the railing into the ocean. <laughs> it's so much comedy packed into a little bit that's true to the character in the situation. Uh, it's just a really well-made moment that I respect in the writing. And a lovely payoff of, oh, I didn't know you were going to be out here too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to swim away further. <laughs> <laughs> she later jumps in the ocean. Yes. <sighs> so good. So, so wonderful. I I feel like we got really um, heady, like really emotional and up about this. So hopefully we still have our dozens of fans after this. This is our writers get personal episode again. <laughs> Shall we talk less personal and homework? Yes, let's. For next time, your homework is to watch an animated movie, but not one that came out this year. In our belated fall episode, we're going to talk about the movie Paranorman from Leica, uh, which came out in 2012. So watch Paranorman before the next episode. Or don't, and be surprised. <laughs> As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. You can find all of our show notes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com and engage with us on Twitter. Tell us your own personal dating horror stories from growing up in the 80s and 90s. Um, <laughs> at WG Animated. Um, and if you like this episode, uh, give us a review, share us, do something, tell your friends. And just know, um, please don't bring the words friend and zone as a single term to me ever. Except ever. to make fun of it. Right, right. We will deconstruct that like something that should not exist ever. Just be friends. Just be friends. There's what a horrible wrong. concept. You have a good friend. Uh, uh no. <laughs> Just have a good night, everybody. <laughs>